Brother Connor was praying a little while ago, and in his prayer, he said he's interested in seeing what the Lord laid upon the pastor's heart to preach tonight. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, I'm kind of interested to see what the Lord laid on my heart too. I I had planned to preach out of First uh, Thessalonians. We've been preaching through it on Sunday nights. I was gone uh, for a Sunday night, and and so we just didn't get there lately, but. I was planning on preaching that tonight, but the Lord's had my my heart, my attention, kind of focused on this Israel thing with the war Amen. being declared, and and so tonight I I don't intend to uh, to preach three points in a poem, and I don't intend to do cartwheels and swing through the auditorium on the grapevine like I usually do, and so I just want to do some teaching, and. We're going to try to focus in on Israel and how we fit into it. And so if you have your King James Bible handy, turn to Matthew chapter number 24. And I just want to teach some truths that Christians probably in, in, in general, maybe not this crowd, maybe you're more familiar, but a lot of Christians today just don't really know about the end time events and especially about Matthew 24, what it's all about. I was watching on the news a little bit earlier this afternoon and I said that 260 people, 260 bodies were dug out of the the rubble at that music festival. I guess Hamas there in in the Gaza Strip. And I, I visited the Gaza Strip, but just before our nation talked Israel into giving it away to the Palestinians, which the Palestinians is kind of a misnomer anyway. They're not really Palestinians. They're, they're Philistines. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, they never had a home in Israel. It's always been deeded by God to Israel. And, and Israel is really, by God's surveys, is really bigger than what they occupy now. Yes. And so they would have every right to kick Gaza out. But Hamas and ISIS and some of the other terrorist organizations tend to hide out in Palestine or in the Gaza Strip, I shouldn't say, because they know they've got a safe haven there and they can do their dirty deeds from there. And so a couple of days ago, they just out of the blue, Israel not expecting it, Israel received numbers, scores of bombs and missiles fired into Israel. And I guess there's over 700 now that, that are dead, regular civilians, some military personnel. Over 700, they, they say they're calling it their 911. And it is a tragedy, missiles being fired into civilian areas. Instead of like, if, if two nations are going at war, if somebody's going to attack the United States and they shoot a missile into the Air Force base at Little Rock, you'd kind of say, well, that's, that's a tragedy, but I can, I can see why they would hit the Air Force base because that's military. They don't knock out the military. But Hamas is not doing that. They're shooting it into neighborhoods like you live in, and they're killing innocent men, women, boys and girls, and families it's been documented already that families have been found shot to death execution style in their own home. They come in and just point blank shoot them right there, kill the whole family. And this 
is tragic, worse than tragic. And there's been families that are kidnapped. The ones that weren't killed were kidnapped and carried over into the Gaza Strip to be held in the Palestinian area because, well, you don't care if I've got a political opinion, do you? Good. (laughs) Uh, When our president administration paid some ransom money to Iran recently. All that did was say, look guys, come and steal some of our people and we'll pay you big time. So now we're having more hostages. Israel is bearing the brunt of this right now. Maybe you and I will a little later on. Israel declared a formal war war, and rightly so. And it's unlike how the news media often portrays this. They say, well, those poor little Palestinians, they just want that little narrow strip of land, and those old mean Israelis just won't cooperate with them. Did you know that every time there's been a conflict or a war, it's been the terrorists, the Palestinians, that have fired on Israel first every time. And then they shoot back. Israel shoots back. Well, wouldn't you protect your family? <laughs> Israel shoots back and then the news media say, well, those old me's Israelis, look how they're treating those Palestinians, shooting at them. Well, yeah, in retaliation for what they're doing to them, I mean, they're defending themselves. And Israel has some governmental internal problems right now. Their government is in somewhat of a turmoil like it is here in the United States, liberals and conservatives uh, battling each other. And so that's kind of making a little more chaos for them. And their borders have been relaxed. I was in Israel a number of years ago, and we saw the Israelis were very diligent about maintaining their borders. I mean, they had, they, had armed, they had armed military personnel all around the borders and even inside their own cities. I mean, it was nothing uncommon to be walking down a street and going into a restaurant, and you'd meet two or three Israeli soldiers, men, women, with, uh, with military rifles strapped on their back. They were ready for action. We visited some schools uh, down at Hebron, and at the door of the school, we stepped in the door of the school, and just inside the door, there was a big bundle of rifles and pistols and all kinds of firearms inside the school. Little boys and girls over there learning, but the teachers had all those weapons there to defend themselves because they get shot at every night off of the hill above Hebron. And so, yeah, they're, they're defending themselves, and and I think they've got every right to. But they relaxed their border. Does that ring any bells? <laughs> they relaxed their borders, thinking, well, maybe things kind of settle down. Well, in the Middle East, it don't ever settle down. It's just the calm before the storm. And I just wonder, I just wonder, and maybe you have too, if our own borders, how many terrorists have we got coming through our borders who are setting up all across America right now and ready to shoot at your family. We have some, no doubt. And at the end of the service, I'd like for us to pray for Israel tonight and for the United States. But I'd ask the question, everything that's going on, it seems like stuff just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? And people ask the question, do you think, do you think it's the end of the world coming? Is Matthew 24 at the door? I want to preach just a little while or teach a little out of Matthew 24 about this subject tonight. Woke, warring, and worrying. 
Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to say only those things that would be helpful and needful. And Lord, leave out the things that wouldn't serve your purpose. We pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 24 is a crucial chapter in end time events. And so what I want to do tonight, instead of having the three points in a poem and, uh, and doing a cheerleading sermon, I want to go through Matthew 24 so you are familiar with it more maybe than you were before. So let's just read through it and we'll comment as we go through. Ready? Verse number one, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse number one. <clears throat> and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the temple, buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? They're, they're, the disciples are with Jesus. This is getting close to the time of his crucifixion. They're walking by the temple, and the disciples said, Man, look at this magnificent religious temple. And they were impressed in their heart, and they thought Jesus surely would be impressed too. But I'm, I'm suspecting since he created those rocks that that temple was made out of, he was probably not nearly as impressed as they were. And he said, see ye, not all these things. You know, Jesus sees things that we don't see. Are you listening? He sees things in the future that we don't know about yet. And that's what he's writing about here or Matthew's writing about. And Jesus said unto them, see ye, not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. <clears throat> this is a prophecy that's coming to pass in 70 years from this date, from the day that they're looking at the temple. Jesus is saying, you look at all of these stones and this magnificent temple, it's going to come crashing down. The Roman armies are coming in 70 AD and they're going to crush that thing. Some of those stones in that temple weigh hundreds of tons. Can you imagine rocks? <laughs> As big as this auditorium, stacked upon each other. Some of those rocks were huge. Jesus said they're all going to get thrown down. See, whatever man builds, God can take care of just by a sweep of the hand. Saying, Rome, come on down here and knock this thing down. And that's exactly what happened in 70 years. That temple got demolished. And it's said that those Roman soldiers were taking the stones of the temple uh, apart and digging in the mortar because they'd heard that there must be gold hidden in there. And so they're, they're even pulverizing the mortar trying to find some gold. See, Jesus said this is all going to come to pass. The religion that is built <coughs> upon things is not going to amount to much. And then he said in verse number three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and I've had the pleasure of being on that Mount of Olives and looking back at the walls of Jerusalem. Wonderful sight to be where Jesus was. He says, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Now watch this. Tell us when. Underline that word in your Bible. When. Tell us. They're saying to Jesus, Well, if all this is going to happen, if things are going to go haywire, tell us when. Shall these things be? Now look at the next word. And what? <laughs> Underline that. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? He's told them before he's coming again. So even in the Old Testament he said that he would be here again. They didn't know who he was. And they rejected him, but he's coming again. And 
He said, tell us when and what, the sign of thy coming and of the what? end of the world. Now that phrase end of the world doesn't mean that everything's going out of existence at that point. The end of the world means this world system. And so when this age comes to an end, the age you live in, this dispensation is the church age. <coughs> and, and when this church age comes to an end, there's going to be a, a rapture. We're going out as Christians. If you're saved, you're going up. You won't go through the tribulation, but immediately after the rapture, rapture there's going to be a tribulation time, seven years. And we've preached on that a number of times. And that's going to be the second coming proper. The rapture and the second coming are, in some sense, one event, but they're divided by seven years. And so the first part of his second coming will be the rapture where he will just come in the clouds above and call us up to meet him. And then we're going back to heaven with him. Seven years later, he comes back and puts his feet down on Mount Olivet. <coughs> and at that time, Soon after, after the battle of Armageddon, and all of the unbelievers have been cast into hell, then there will be a millennial reign of Christ set up a thousand years reign with Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem. That's a new age. We live in the church age. The millennial reign of Christ is a whole different age. That thousand years is set apart. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed. What do we do when we study the word of God? We're taking heed. What do we do when we hear Sunday school being taught? We're taking heed. What do we do when we read the Bible? Maybe you get up and have coffee and, and read your Bible in the morning and you're listening for the voice of God and you're taking heed. Well, we need to take heed. And he says, take heed that no man deceive you. And there's a lot of deception going on. Would you agree with that? Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear. Now watch this. Here's, here's the part that's got a lot of people asking questions right now with this going on in Israel with the war time. <clears throat> he says, Shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, we're, we're seeing a war underway right now, aren't we? That's a real war in Israel. And then rumors of wars. Has anybody heard that maybe China is going to capture Taiwan and, and they're going to start expanding further towards the United States in their endeavor to capture the business of the world. And China right now is our biggest threat. A 200 million man army that's prophesied in the word of God, it could easily happen and come out of China at any time. They've got the manpower now. China, rumors of wars. Is, is China really going to come after the United States? Well, if we maintain a stance of weakness like we are now, they would be enticed to do so, I'm sure. That's why we need strength in our government offices so people on the other side of the world. No, we better not tamper with those folks over there. <laughs> They'll get in your hair. And so we're hearing about wars and rumors of wars, and somebody might say, well, man, does that mark? Does that mark the beginning of the tribulation? Are we at the edge of it? Are we about ready to go up in the rapture? Is the second coming at our doorstep? <clears throat> People are wondering. He says in verse number 
6, he says, hear wars and rumors of wars. He said, see that you be not troubled. See that you be not troubled. Is this a horrible war going on in Israel? You bet it is. Would it be a horrible thing if China expands and becomes imperialistic and begins to capture more and more territories until they've got us rooted out and surrounded? (laughs) That'd be bad too, wouldn't it? But he said, look, if you're a believer, he says, be not troubled. Remember what it says in John chapter 14 when Jesus got ready to go back? He said, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. It sounds a lot, a lot like what he's saying right here. He said, if I, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. So the Christian doesn't have to worry. There's wars and there's worry. People worry about the culture. And he says that, and later on in this passage, he talks about in verse number 12, he says, and because iniquity shall abound. Is iniquity abounding in, the, in our own world today, in the United States today? Is iniquity abounding? I mean, when, when men think they're women and women think they're men and, and there's 57 different kinds of genders and men are getting married to men and so forth, uh, the, the killings that are taking place, robberies and rapes that are taking place. In San Francisco, there's many, many stores that are closing right now because of the iniquity, the robberies. The gangs will walk up. There'll be 100 or 200 of them in a group, young people a lot of times, and they'll walk up and just take bats and bars and knock the windows out or knock the glass out of the doors and go in and steal everything they want in there. The police can do very little, and if they do, the prosecuting attorneys have got laws that they follow now that says, well, we don't want to be too rough on those people. Let's don't make them pay bail. We'll just turn them back out. And so they go do it again. Iniquity abounding. Would you agree with that? Are we on the edge of Matthew 24? Are we on the edge of the rapture? The woke people today. It says that that iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. When women abort their babies in the womb... The love of many has already waxed cold. When we look and think that that birth control is just to kill the baby, that's sad. And it makes you think the love of many has already waxed cold. Are we there at the edge of Matthew 24? Are we at the edge when the rapture is about to happen? Let's go back up and (coughs) take care. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) In verse number 6 again. You might want to just jot some notes in the margin of the Bible if you can or on a piece of paper because some of these things you'll want to go back and study a little bit more. Verse 6 says, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Now look, God has already already prophesied that certain events are going to happen. And he said that before the rapture happens, that there's going to be a great falling away first. And I know there's talk about great revivals could still happen. But some generation has to be that generation when, when the apostates have taken over and, and there are just little pockets of believers like we have here tonight. Little pockets of believers, not great revivals. Some, some generation has to be that generation. Are we that generation? I don't know. We could have revival in this church. 
We'd have revival in this community. But a national revival? I have my doubts. And he says, these things must come to pass. We're still in verse number six. Now watch this. He says, but the end is not yet. You ought to underline that word end. The end of what? See, a lot of people, look here. A lot of people take Matthew 24 to be talking about the rapture itself. And there's a, maybe a faint hint of the rapture here and there through it. But we're going to see that <clears throat> this, is, this is delineating the tribulation period primarily. And he says, the end is not yet. The end of what? The end of the tribulation. Not the end of the planet, but the end of the tribulation. He's saying there's going to be tribulation, and we're going to see it here just a little bit more fully in a minute. But he's saying, the end is not yet. Whatever's happening, the end is not yet. There will come an end to the tribulation, but not yet. And he says, verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. These are things that we see at the, at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. After you and I have gone out in the rapture, there'll be earthquakes. Now, we're, we're building up to those things now. I think we are seeing a frequency, it seems, in earthquakes and pestilences. Anybody heard of a little jewel called COVID? <laughs> pestilences designed in a lab in China? You couldn't say that. It was wrong to say that. Now they're beginning to think, well, maybe it was made in China after all. Yeah. In Wuhan. Experimenters. Backed by people like Tony Fauci. He says, nation shall rise against nation. You're going to have famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers or diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. You, now notice the word you, they shall deliver you up. Now who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. And who are these disciples? They're Jews. And so we're seeing primarily the Jews mentioned because this tribulation time, this seven years of tribulation is designed primarily for the Jews. This is when God is going to set them through Jacob's sorrow, Jacob's trouble. And it's going to turn the Jews back to God, at least a good number of them. Of course, there'll be some unbelievers that'll, that'll die and go to hell because they still rejected Christ. Same as there will be some Gentiles. But he says, they'll deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and kill you. Have you ever noticed that the Jews seem to be the brunt of that a lot? Anybody remember the Holocaust during World War II? The Jews were murdered. That's, that's why so many nations finally got in the war was because the Jews were being tortured, starved, put into slavery, and then hauled in cattle trains, put into gas chambers and gassed to death. They'd pull the rings off of their fingers and knock their gold teeth out for the profit and then burn their bodies, incinerate them. The Jews have always have been at, at the end of the gun, so to speak, because of who they are and who they represent. People don't like them because they think of God when they think of the Jews. And he says, they'll deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. 
and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Oh, let's stop right there just for a minute. The same that endures to the end shall be saved. See there, preacher, you can lose your salvation and you've got to hold out faithful to the end to make it to heaven. You know what that's saying? No, not at all. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, the one who can endure physically through that martyrdom and torture and torment of the tribulation and they get to the end of that seven years, if they were Christians, they're going to be hunted down. If they're Jews, they're going to be hunted down. Believing Jews and believing Christians will be hunted down and killed during the tribulation time. And that's why many will flee into the mountains and caves. But he says if you somehow can escape that martyrdom, if you can endure to the end of the tribulation, not to the end of all time, if you can endure to the end of this seven-year tribulation, then you'll be saved because the kingdom, Jesus coming back and then the thousand-year reign will start and you'll go into the, if you happen to be one of those that went into the tribulation as a non-believer and you got saved during the tribulation, then you'd go into the kingdom age in your natural body. And so if you endured the physical torments and afflictions of the tribulation and you live to the end, you'd be saved because Jesus is coming back and everybody's believers have not been killed by Antichrist at that point. They'll go into the thousand-year reign, the millennium. And so you say, well, how do you know for sure that's what it's talking about? Well, let's go down here and um, go down to verse number 22. He says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh, do you see that word? There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. What's he saying? He's saying because of the, the tragedy and the horrendous, killing, murderous attitudes of the Antichrist and all of his armies and the way they're going to hunt people down, believers in Christ, they're going to be wiped out if that time lasted any longer, but God's mercy and grace is always present. He said, I'm going to shorten those days. And he said, unless those days were shortened, there would no souls be saved? No, that's not what he said. But no flesh be saved. Your flesh is not your soul. <laughs> and so he that endures to the end, he that endures in the flesh without being killed will be saved physically not talking about salvation at all. Salvation is always by grace in every age. It's by faith. By faith we're saved always. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He believed. So becoming a believer is always dependent upon trusting God. And when someone trusts the Lord for his salvation, he's saved. It's through believing by faith. Now let's back up. <laughs> Just wanted to kind of get that out of the way about somebody losing their salvation because those who think you can lose your salvation use this quite often to say, well, see there, if you don't endure to the end, you won't be saved. You'll go to hell. No, he's not talking about going to hell. He's talking about dying in the tribulation time physically. So back to uh, verse number 14. 
And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. The end of what? The end of the tribulation. The gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached. The kingdom is at hand. In the tribulation time, if you were alive, now you're a Christian, you're, if you're saved, you're going up in rapture, you're not going to be here for any of this. <clears throat> but let's say that somebody in this auditorium was lost and they didn't get saved. They went into the tribulation and then they get saved during the tribulation, they would be hearing some preaching going on during the seven years' time. Because there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists going all over preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what is the gospel of the kingdom? The Lord is coming back at the end of the tribulation, and there's going to be a thousand-year reign where all believers will enter into it and enjoy it. But the gospel of the kingdom even though it's about the thousand-year reign, it's about the kingdom age of Christ, the gospel of the cross will still be preached. That'll be part of that gospel of the kingdom because without the blood of Christ, there is no remission of sins. And so one in the tribulation time to be saved would have to believe that Jesus died for their sins because without the shedding of his blood, there is no remission. And then they'd also be informed in this gospel that the end of the seven-year tribulation is coming and then the kingdom is going to be set up. Don't you know if you were going through that tribulation time and, man, you're having to run for your life and then you hear the message that Jesus is coming back really, really soon now and he's going to kill Antichrist and cast, cast him into hell along with the beast and the false prophet and all of them. The devil's going to be cast in. Satan's bound for a thousand years. And you hear the news. Boy, if I can just, if I can hold out longer, if I can just survive a little while longer, I'm saved and I'll go to heaven during tribulation time. But if I can hold out physically to the end of the tribulation, then I won't have to die physically and I get to go into that glorious kingdom age. Can you imagine the contrast between that seven years of horrible tribulation and then what it will mean to go into the kingdom time, into this kingdom age when Christ rules with the rod of righteousness from Jerusalem and the whole the curse is lifted during that thousand-year reign? And, I mean, the ground won't have any briars anymore. Are you glad about that? How many... Guys are hunters, and you hate wading through those briars and tearing the blood. You know, come out of those briars, and your legs are bleeding. No more briars, no more thorns. I mean, things will grow. The, the produce, you probably have cherries growing on trees as big as watermelons. <laughs> and you'll have roses this big around that'll be fragrant. And just everything's going to be Garden of Eden-like. Now, if you're coming out of the tribulation, and you hear the gospel of the kingdom... You're going to say, man, I'm looking forward to that. God always has something better for his children. Then we go down to uh, verse number 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now let's talk about verse 15 just for a second here. The abomination of desolation. This Antichrist has made a peace treaty with Israel for half of that tribulation time. At the beginning of the tribulation, Antichrist makes a, a treaty with Israel and says, boy, you're going to dwell in peace and safety. And everything's pretty rosy for a while. And then 
at the middle of that tribulation, after three and a half years, he breaks that covenant. And it's spoken of in Daniel 9.27. The abomination of desolation. The Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the temple and he'll desecrate the temple where the Jews have worshipped God. He's made, a, he's made a pact with them, peace with them, but then suddenly he sets up an idol of himself and, and just defiles that temple three and a half years into the tribulation. And so then at that point, some believe, some scholars, prophecy teachers believe that Ezekiel 37 and 38 come into play here and that's when Russia and some other countries invade Israel and they get defeated. But at that point, that's when the Antichrist breaks his league with Israel and then he begins to pursue them unto the death. And he says, when you see this abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. I mean, who, who reads, who readeth will understand. You and I who live in this age can look back and we can understand it a lot better than they did. Those disciples are having trouble putting all this together in their head. But now we can look back because we got the completed word of God and we can look back and see how it all fits together. They didn't have that privilege and no wonder they were a little bit confused. But he says then, verse 16, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains and let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes and woe to them that are with child and give suck in those days. They're going to be carrying little babies and running for their life trying to preserve the life of the little baby and preserve their own life and they'll They'll have trouble just finding a place to nurse the babies where their life's not endangered. This is going to be a horrible, horrible time. And he says, verse 20, But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Now remember, these are Jews. We don't keep the Sabbath. So it's, again, this is written primarily to the Jews. We're included in it as Gentiles. But he says, hope it's not on the, you better hope it's not on the Sabbath day because... You're going to have to decide, am I going to stand in place and be killed or am I going to run for it? <clears throat> neither, I pray you neither, uh, your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Um, now verse 21 is interesting. He says, for then shall be great tribulation. The first three and a half years of that seven is a tribulation time. And then after this abomination of the desolation, the last three and a half years, he says, shall be great tribulation. It's going to get worse. Boy, if I wasn't saved, I'd do it right now. I wouldn't want to have to go through the first half of that tribulation. I wouldn't want to go through the second half for sure. And for those who teach against uh, a pre-tribulation rapture, they say, well, the church is going to go through the first three and a half years and because they say, this, and many say this tribulation is not a, it's not a tribulation any different than the tribulation that you go through on a daily basis. I mean, you've got a sick child or you have a bank check to bounce or, or somebody gets mad at you. You have your tribulations, you know. And this is just another tribulation. No, it says it's great tribulation and <clears throat> the extreme treachery of these times rules out any ordinary tribulation. 
we think our tribulations that we go through now are rough, and they are, but not compared to what's going to happen in this seven years. It's going to be great tribulation. So Andersonism out in Arizona, Andersonism is disproved by this. They say it's just, you have tribulation all the time. It's no big deal. Now, this is a big deal, a big deal. He says uh, in the last part of verse number 21, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. That makes it sound like a big, big tribulation, doesn't it? And he says, no, nor ever shall be. So he's saying this is such a tribulation that there's never anything happened like this before, nor will it ever in the future. This tribulation is set apart from all others. Others, It's a great tribulation, so don't downplay it like it's no big deal. And then we read verse 22, except those days should be shortened. No flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So if that was an extended period of time, nobody would be able to survive it. But God in his grace and mercy for the elect's sake will shorten those days. Who are the elect anyway? Well, there's places in the Bible where the elect kind of seems to talk about the Jews. They're God's elect people, the apple of his eye. But I don't think he's talking about that elect people here. This would seem to point to all of God's people in the tribulation time. Those converted, converted Jews and converted Gentiles, they'll all be God's people in the tribulation time. They are now in the church age. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're saved, you're part of the church, you're part of God's people. Now, the church will be gone during tribulation time, but there'll still be God's people during tribulation time. <clears throat> and so that's the elect. And it says, verse 23 Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch <clears throat> that if it were possible, that they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I've told you before, <coughs> wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east, uh, Brother JT, that's why we bury people. Their head is pointed. If they were to set up in their grave, which way would they be looking? Looking east. Looking east. <laughs> and you, just, you go look at the cemeteries. And people who are buried in the cemeteries, it's a custom that comes from right here. Jesus was expected to come like the lightning out of the east. And so if you were a Christian in the grave and you sit up during the resurrection, you're going to be facing east, facing the Jesus who's coming for you. I look forward to seeing him coming like the lightning out of the east, don't you? And then he says, It shineth even unto the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be... For wheresoever the carcass is, there will, be, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now this is a reference to Revelation chapter 19 where God says there's two suppers there and one supper is for the people of God, but the first supper that's mentioned in Revelation 19 is a supper where the buzzards are going to gather together to eat the carcasses of all those who are killed in the battle of Armageddon. I mean, there's going to be dead carcasses Millions of dead carcasses all over the face of the earth and the buzzards are going to gather for a great supper. And that's what he's referring to here where the eagles be gathered together. 
Verse 29, and immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sun, uh, the sign of the son of man in heaven. Uh, people looking for Jesus and they're trying to predict when he's coming. Uh, I can tell you when you'll know for sure he's coming when you look up in the sky and see him. <laughs> then you'll know. Now you and I again will be gone and this will be the people in the tribulation that are to look up and see him when he comes at the end of the battle of Armageddon. And then in the last part of that verse, it says, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn for they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Let me give you my interpretation of that. All of those who rejected Christ, they've heard the gospel that Jesus bled and died for their sins. They've had the opportunity to repent and turn to Christ. And they've rejected. The Bible says in Revelation that, that men re, will refuse to repent even though they've seen all these things. My interpretation of this is they're going to look up and see Jesus coming and they're going to say, oh no. <laughs> Those preachers were right. Those Christians were right. There he is. Summer has ended. The harvest has passed. And I'm not saved. And they'll know their doom is being pronounced upon them at that very moment. If I was not saved, I'd get saved tonight. Yeah. And it says, with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together, the angels gather together his elect from the four winds, one from, uh, from one end of heaven to the other, verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. And I'm just going to say this about the fig tree. I know there's some people that believe that the, the budding of the fig tree was the birth of, birth of Israel in 1947. Was that when it was? 1947? And 48. And my brother's birthday is in 47. I always get those two dates mixed up. And so they believe that the budding of the fig tree represents the birth of the rebirth of Israel in 1948. And that that generation shall not pass. It says, so likewise when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. I think the generation that's not going to be passed is not necessarily the generation of people that were alive during the birth of Israel, nor you and me right now. It could be at a later time. And the generation he's talking about is the generation of the, of the race of Jews. The Jews... They've tried to wipe out the Jews all through history and it hadn't, they hadn't killed them out yet. And he's saying, Jews, be assured that your generation, your race of people is not going to be wiped out till all these things be fulfilled. You're not going to be exterminated completely. And that's the generation I believe he's talking about. And then verse 36, he says, but, that, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. <laughs> he said, nobody knows the day and hour, and yet there's still people, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, and even Baptists predict, they know when Jesus is coming back. Well, Jesus said, nobody knows. <laughs> God didn't even tell the angels. One day he'll look down and all the angels will be gathered together and he'll say, okay, angels, it's time. Let's go. <laughs> and then they'll know. And instantly you and I will know. 
But till that time, ignore all the date setters that tell you they know when it's going to happen. He says no man knows the day or the hour. Just don't know. Now we see signs that we think surely he's coming back soon. And maybe he is. And I hope he is. But nobody knows. He says as it was in the days of Noah, <clears throat> they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and watch this and took them all away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be then two shall be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now I've heard this, when I first got saved, I heard this preached that this was, a, this was the rapture right here. Got two guys down here, man, two guys side by side and the trumpet sounds and one goes up and the other left behind to go through judgment. That's not, that's not what it's saying at all. Two women at the mill, they're grinding side by side, grinding some cornmeal and uh, wheat, and one is taken up to be with the Lord and the other's left behind. That's not what it means. It says, as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days of Noah, when the flood came and took them all away, where did it take them? It took the unbelievers to judgment. <laughs> and so... These, if it's going to be like it was in the days of, the, of Noah, when they're all taken away, one at the, two at the mill, and one's taken and the other's left, the one that's taken is taken in judgment. And the one that's left is left to go into the millennial reign of Christ in natural body, but saved. And so this is not the, tribu- this is not the rapture, but rather the second coming. And he says that we're to watch Therefore, and be ready, verse 44, in an hour that he is not aware of. You say, are you sure this is really the tribulation, not the rapture? Well, if you look at the first first phrase in chapter 25, it says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto, and then he goes on to to the ten virgins and other, Illustration showing that then the kingdom, so the, the tribulation has just ended, and now verse chapter 25 of Matthew goes into talking about what the kingdom's going to be like. And so just another piece of evidence to show that Matthew 24 is about the tribulation. You'll find it coincides with several prophecies in Revelation if you want to study it a little further. So we got woke people, warring people, and we got worrying people. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. We talked about some horrible things here. And we need to know those things so we can warn our family and our friends that they need to be saved so they can avoid this. But for you and I who are saved, he said, let not your heart be troubled. I'll come again, and I'll receive you unto myself. So what I'm saying is the Bible is teaching that yes, there is a horrendous time coming in Matthew 24. Maybe we are on the edge of it right now. Maybe we're at the door of Matthew 24. Maybe we're at the edge of the rapture. Maybe this war in Israel, maybe it is going to be one of those final wars. And maybe there is a lot of people who are going to be worrying. 
But you and I who are believers, we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for our own nation. But we need to rejoice in the fact that we're saved and he's going to take care of us. You don't have to go through the tribulation. The Bible says God hath not appointed us unto wrath. So we're going to be taken out. We can rejoice. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if he let the church go through half or all of the tribulation only to rapture us out after we've endured all of that? What happened to the blessed hope? <laughs> the blessed hope, if it lets us go through the tribulation, there's not a blessed hope at all. <laughs> but the fact that he's going to keep us safe and then take us into that millennial reign where it's Garden of Eden. Then he's going to show us what Adam and Eve could have had had they not messed up in the garden. You and I have lots to look forward to. And while times may get tough, there will be that trumpet sound and there will be that rapture. And we will be with the one who loved us enough to die for us. The one who empowers us not to worry. The one who empowers us to live through those warring times. And the one who empowers us to endure the silliness of the wokeness around us. We have a loving God. He says, I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to love the fact that you take care of us. And Lord, that even when we endure trials and tribulations, that in light of eternity, it'll seem like nothing. And Lord, as Christians, since we don't have to go through the great tribulation, we're, we're sure happy that you're going to have a lot of special times for us in your presence, times when we can fellowship with you, fellowship with your people, and we can be re- reunited with our loved ones who've gone on before. Lord, help us to rejoice that you're ever near and you'll never leave us. Our heads are bowed.